Welcome to the Jay and Silent Bob Minute. We're covering the movie Dogma, one minute at a time. Today we're covering Minute 116, quite possibly the greatest $6 million man minute ever. I'm Jeff Ferry. Uh, I'm Luke Allen. Uh, it says on our thing, oh my God, did you? 17. Oh, God. Oh, oh did, did it? You oh, I'm it so dumb. Did you... we, we oh, no, I labeled it right. No, I'm stupid. But we're not, we're not cutting it. We're leaving it. Ah, we leave it. That's fun. <laughs> Just shows how, how uninformed I am about my own podcast. <laughs> Do you know why it said 116? Because I, I left that in. I left that I in since Wednesday. I guessed the wrong minutes. It was one of the most high profile. Oh, that's and great. I sent him the previous week's minutes. And rather than just re record the previous week again or get the guy I had on the previous week to do a different week, I just got to like, watch the minutes live and talk about them. And apparently, <laughs> he had loads of long notes about the previous one. Ooh. But it was like it wasn't until like halfway through the first episode that we realized we were talking about corporate. The guest yeah. was, it is available for anyone to listen to, because that's all in the episode. Um, in America, are you any familiar with um, Darren Brown? It's not coming to me. It's not possible that I don't, just don't know the name. He was like a, a fairly famous like um, TV mentalist, got a few like Netflix specials and things. And like, just the weirdness of lockdown, um, he just shouted out our time podcast on Twitter, <laughs> liked that film, and discovered it. And so I just messaged him, and I was like, do you want to come on the show? And he was like, yeah, sure, why not? And then he, uh, Rachel McAdams was one of the leaders about town. He's like, I once had Rachel McAdams around for dinner, but I didn't know who she was, so that's a fun story to tell. I was like, definitely. And it was a great show, but yeah, that first episode, I want to listen back to them all being like, oh, wasn't this great? So it was so awkward, because it's just like, he just doesn't remember what minute it is. <laughs> it all wrong. It's the only time it's happened, and it had to be with that guest. <laughs> We've had, I've had a guest watch the wrong minutes. Because they had access. I'd sent them. This is why now I only send the actual minutes to people. I used to send the link to the whole thing where they could access all the minutes. And then once you run into this a couple times where they hit the wrong minutes. And especially with Kevin Smith, they're all so similar (laughs) that you can't quite tell for a while. You're like, wait a minute. This guy seems to be a little off when he's talking about. Well, that's it. Especially when it's like the ones just before or the ones just after. And it's like it's the same scene. And like it's that same point within the film. But yeah. I just, in the back of my mind, I'm like, I want to know what Darren Brown's notes were. Like, <laughs> he, made, he made detailed notes about minutes we never talked about. I oh. want to know what he had to say. Let's see, this is why I don't do any research when I go on people's podcasts, because that way I'm never upset when they're like, hey, we're going to change something up. I'm like, that's all right. I didn't do anything anyway. Yeah, I'll admit, I normally make notes. I didn't this time. I watched the minutes a few times, and I thought, oh, that Yeah, <laughs> I, it, it's not. Um, the only time I've ever really, I would expect, not even expect, but somebody might make notes is if something comes up. That you're like, oh, there's something I really want to talk about. So, you know, I'm going to make notes fair, made, I, to I, remind I myself to talk about it. Yeah, I made a note about the sermon I listened to that connected to the Karate Kid. Yeah. <laughs> the wax on wax on. Well, I, I learned that was the only one. On the Burbs, I had a notebook, an actual physical notebook that I made notes for every minute. I would I would write down all the dialogue that they said and, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then I started realizing like five, six weeks in, I never looked at it. Like I would never go back to it. We would talk about whatever, and because it's not, we are not professionals. We weren't coming at it from a technical angle, unless there was something specific that we liked we wanted to talk about. But like we were so we were so off the cuff. There was no point of having so notes I like that. Thought that I was like prepared and like had a fair amount of notes because it was lockdown. I had, 
like literally probably the main thing I did. And I'd be recording with Rob in the evening, so in the daytime, I would like look at the scene we were looking at. I'd listen to the director's commentary over that scene, make notes of like everything they point out. I'd look for behind the scenes footage of what scenes we did, and I feel like I'm set, I'm prepared. But my co-host is Robert Black. And I don't oh. Know if you've, you've, oh yeah, yeah. I know so Robert Black. There is, um, <laughs> the, 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 however prepared I am, I'm not Rob prepared. Like it's, it's incredible. The he's he is one of the two people I've had on where they start talking about something, and I'm like, wow, they are going far more in depth into this than I ever would. He was one, and Guy Hutchinson was the other for different reasons. Robert on the more technical film level of it and guy on the more pop culture version of it but still going so far into something talking about things in the background that not only did i not know about but had never seen until they mentioned it (laughs) yeah i remember um i remember uh rob had like this theory when we were talking about about time we had this full theory that time travel didn't exist in the film that it was all like within his head and all this element and he went to richard curtis so you know i've got this idea that time travel didn't work and richard just fully went and went well, Rob's a more like deeper and clever man. Uh, so <laughs> I didn't think about any of this, but it's yeah, the, his his notes are, are incredible, and I tried to kind of take sort of follow in his footsteps when I then went on to host my own shows with because my co-host for well, actually, my co-host for Love Rosie, both of them had never hosted a podcast before, so I then became like the main notes person, and I think I I was never Rob level, but I tried as hard as I could to like do that, like uh, um. Because we always, when we did About Time, uh, Rob had like a transcript of, of every line of dialogue from About Time, and then in like a column, and then on the other side would be his notes as each line comes up, and like what it was all about. So I, I then like followed in the footsteps of that the rest of my shows and stuff, and it was a pain to keep up with, but it worked well when I had co-hosts who'd never done it before because I directly had stuff I could fall back on. Whereas guest spotting, I may write one or two things down but i kind of i'm, I'm, I'm here for the ride so yeah. well yeah <laughs> definitely when around. we like when we're not guest hosting when we guest host i don't care we go and like i assume if we're on as a guest host people expect us to act like we normally do just within the confines of whatever that is yeah. but like when i guest spot all i normally do is unless i know the person already i just listen to a couple of their episodes and be like yeah. all right well where are they at here like what what is their <laughs> what like i don't want to like be completely off of however they do it so, yeah. like, when we had Robert Black on, you know, how, I mean, if you've listened to his podcast, like, he'll script it and just re- and read, every, and he'll talk about other things, but, like, he scripted what he's going to talk about. Yeah, it's it's insane. I, I truly believe that that man is a time traveler, because I don't know how he had time for everything. I don't know. Um, it's, like, it's it's insane. Um, That's but, why he's yeah, the professor, and, you know, <laughs> I'm doing a, a podcast about Kevin Smith stuff. Um, I can't go beyond saying this. Um, I mentioned in the beginning the six million dollar man. Do you have any idea who the six million dollar man is? So it's a thing that has been referenced in things before. I've definitely looked it up, but I can't remember. <laughs> All right. So this is a it's a show that ran before I was even born. <laughs> it was probably in reruns when I was a kid, and same thing. People referenced it as. It's, for some reason, it became one of those things in the cultural zeitgeist that, zeitgeist that people would reference. So the beginning of the show would go like this. Steve Austin, astronaut, a man barely alive. And then another guy would start talking. Gentlemen, we can rebuild him. We have the technology. We have the capability to make the world's first bionic man. Steve Austin will be that man. Better than he was before. Better. Stronger. Faster. That's it. 
the entire premise of the show right there. <laughs> he had a bionic eye and arm and legs, I think. And I'm sure you've also seen this parody at some point. Whenever he would go to use them, it would make this kind of sound. Uh, yes, yes. Yeah. So a lot of weird – how we talked about the Karate Kid. A lot of weird pop cultural stuff came out of that show, which only ran from 74 to 78. Not like it ran for 15 years. But they still it's talk about it. But yeah, I think I think it's also quite interesting how the number of things that are just sort of within cultural zeitgeist that like I can have full conversations with people about films I've not seen and they don't know I've not seen. Oh, absolutely! There are so many films that have just. No, I remember there was a, a drunk man once. Uh, he was high. He just like started talking to us in the middle of DVD store, and he was talking to us about. Um, Tarantino films, and notably Death Proof. I've never seen Death Proof, but I spoke with this man for like an hour about Death Proof and he fully thought I'd seen it. <laughs> Here. He was also I, drunk and high and whatever, yeah. so you know, it's not the best. I'll give you one that as a film connoisseur may hurt you, or you may not have seen it either. I've never seen Citizen Kane. <laughs> I haven't either. I, it, but it's one of those movies that like, it, it's but... people talk about it all the time, it's so many clips of it online, it's been discussed on so many podcasts I don't feel like I, I mean, I don't know if it could ever live up to the hype at this point. That's it. I've heard a few people say that it, they were surprised it did. Yeah. Uh, but I'm not against watching it. It's on my shelf. But I've never uh, sat down in an evening and thought, what I really want to watch tonight is but I also feel like it's the type of movie that I would need – it needs to be watched with a level of respect of like, all right, I can't get up every 10 minutes and go do – it needs to be, all right, I blocked off two hours. I've got my snacks here. I'm going to watch it like a real movie. Yes, Beginning to end. I I have films on and stuff in the background in my office while I'm working because I don't miss silence. So I've got and I'll get up in the morning, what films or shows what I'm in the office today. And I'm so used to working with the TV on um, that it's really rare that I sit down and watch a film all day. I actually probably attention span wise get really twitchy because I then sit and put a film on and I go, I should be doing something productive now. Like <laughs> what, what should I sort while this is on? Um, which my family get really irritated by a couple of shows. But she won't my phone and my just give it full attention for like forty five minutes or whatever. And yeah, it's probably really bad because I just I can't do that. Yeah. <laughs> I, it's I get so twitchy. I, I have it a couple of times I went to the cinema recently. I think about halfway through I briefly like checked my phone to see if there was anything important. But yeah, that's you know. I was gonna say, man, don't be doing that around me. I, it was it was not less it was less than a year ago where somebody got thro- something thrown at them from, by me. Because I apparently thought I was still eighteen or nineteen years old, and like as soon as I did it, I'm like, "What's wrong with me?" Like, you know, that's something twenty year old me would do. And I should also specify I go to the cinema at like really weird times, where it's kind of mostly just. And this person wasn't. This wasn't a. I checked my phone one time. This was a. I'm on my phone. Oh no, that's that's rough. And yeah, like I, checking your phone, I get because checking your phone could be anything. Checking on my kids. Checking on this. Checking on that. That's boop boop. Check real quick. Eh, whatever. This was checking my looking on my phone, playing on my phone, literally playing a game on my phone, Ooh, and I wasn't having so it. I, so I will have the the darkness, the, the brightness turned like right down, yeah, that, and I will often just really briefly turn my data on and check because one time I went to the cinema and um, and then came out and a project I was on had been cancelled. <laughs> and, and like this big major thing had happened. Like, so like, there's almost like this this backing trauma of being sat with the film on. I can be missing. And sometimes I just need for a moment in order to allow myself to focus on the film. That brief. Okay, everything's fine. 
Well, we have – so we have – there's like a sliding scale of what you can do during different shows that we watch uh, with my wife and I. So there's there's the shows that are like we watch together and we're both invested. So like if it's like The Last of Us. No. Their phones are down. We're watching. You're into that show. And then there's a sliding scale in each person's direction. Like shows that are further to her side, which I'm just watching because – I'm into them, but like, yeah, not completely invested. Ah, those you can check your phone, kind of play a game off to the side, but you're still mostly invested. And then there's like when she's watching The Bachelor, when I'm like laptop open, barely understanding what's going on on that TV screen, <laughs> like only looking well, up, only looking up when something incredibly stupid is happening. Like, what's going on, huh? But I think there are shows and films which are just background noise shows and films, and that's fine. Yes. Like, I feel like that's so dismissed, is that sort of thing. I mean, I'll admit, you know, I like my Richard Curtis movies. A lot of them are background noise. Like, they are just comfort watch. Like, oh, you just pop on Notting Hill in the background where you get on with your day, and it's not going to be a major distraction, but what you do catch, you will like. You can also sit through and watch it and love it all the way through, but I think you, they are films which can be enjoyed on its own, well, and that's fine. And especially if you've – sometimes I feel like you've reached like um, like peak movie when you've seen a movie so many times where like, all right, I, I can now quote this movie inside now. Like I could put clerks on and just walk around my house doing stuff, and as I walk into the room, oh, I know everything that's going to happen because I've seen the movie a, a thousand yeah, times. I, I tried this with about time. Now I'm really careful as to how often I watch like, <laughs> films that I like because I don't want to hate them. So, like, because that does happen. Um, I went through a phase when I was, like, um, 11 or 12, and I weirdly became really obsessed with the vacation movies. And now I can't watch them. Like, I, just, <laughs> I just don't like it. Um, so I'm really, like, careful with the films I like that I watch them and try and give them my full attention. But I struggle a bit because it's not... Um, I'm not, in like, hooked... Because I know what's going to happen. It's, it's insane. Um, so I'll often try and do, only watch them on like really special occasions. Um, but I think the ones I feel like I could watch again and again and again, and Clerks really doesn't fall into this, is if they're really stupid comedies, Yeah. then I can watch them. Then they can be on because I don't care. Like, so, I mean, yeah, talking, did you ever see Pirate Radio? No. I, I, most of the other ones you've said, I knew. I didn't, I didn't, that one I've not seen. So it's um, what is it? It's called the boat that rocked um, in the UK. But do you have much knowledge of the era of pirate radio? Yeah, I do because we had um, we had our Christian Slater movie here, and I listened to a podcast about pirate radio specifically. Uh, so it's, it's well, basically, it's just a movie about one of those uh, about one of the boats in which pirates just full of like nineteen sixties rock, and it's just people having fun. Really. Um, <laughs> And then you've got, like, the politicians who want the, the radio station banned at all costs, and they're very, like, pantomime villain over the top. We are bad people, and we don't like fun. But, like, it's really easy to just put on a watch. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, Dogma, that's what we're, we're here to talk about. Uh, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> you can't prove that at this point. <laughs> all right, yeah, so we had, um, Bethany is, uh, she was back to life on Wednesday. Yay! And, well, see, I can't, my joke doesn't even work. I was going to say Friday's back, so now she's, you know, she's getting good news because it's Good Friday. But, like, that's not what that means. <laughs> Listen, if you don't know what words mean, then it's Good Friday. Yeah, no, we'll go with that. Yeah. Yes. I mean, I'm, it's starting to make me wonder if Metatron is, like, just a huge fan of, like, 70s and 80s American TV. Because, 
Or, and and movies because he does the Karate Kid thing. He does the. Well, I mean, the problem is Kevin is a big fan of those things. He does the Six Million Dollar Man. Um, uh, I I enjoy. It's funny because they're all in a very serious moment here. She's finding out that she's about to find out that she's pregnant, and the muse is there, and the apostles there, and God just sort of wanders off and does a handstand, which I think is almost like part of me is like, oh, they just thought it'd be something goofy for Alanis Morissette to do. The other part of me is like, is it just one of those things that like you don't get it, yeah. <laughs> like you can't get it? No, that's that's exactly what I felt. I I felt like I don't get it. I don't think he wants us to get it. Yeah, <laughs> it just like yeah, you're I, supposed I, to look and be like, "What?" Because that's what all the rest of the characters are yeah. doing, and yeah. it's only like a very brief shot, and then you get back onto the important scene and this <laughs> this whole sort of suggestion of immaculate conception. I guess. I mean, um, I hope so because the only people she's been traveling with lately, I hope none of them are the father. <laughs> <laughs> it's uh, well, if it if it were Jay, he'd have. Um, told everyone about 500 times oh yeah we would we would definitely know unless it was like <laughs> silent bob on the down low it, it could it could be silent bob I, <laughs> I, I, <laughs> but um i mean but it's also that's not the way it's presented to us it's not like oh guess guess what it's more of like a hey you know you it's like wink wink nudge nudge you know the bible don't you yeah <laughs> guess what <laughs> guess macular conception well which is not hilarious but it's it's <laughs> i hate to use the term ironic but like this was brought up earlier as one of her main reasons that she turned from the faith of like she specifically mentions where was God when, a di- you know, when a disease ravaged my womb and made me unable to bear children. And then her husband leaves her for it, which was the extra kick in the pants of like, oh, you can't have children. Bye. So I guess it's um, it's more of a uh, Elizabeth with John the Baptist thing than Mary with Christ. If it's the whole wasn't able to bear children can because the timing is right well it's, i guess it's a two um, it's a twofer because it's the not only can you bear children but like this one it's like uh it's like buying a video game system and it comes with a game already <laughs> this, one, this womb comes with a baby inside already yeah and i think this yeah as you're looking i think this this is one of those scenes that is incredibly helped by the fact that this whole little speech is given by alan rickman where if this is a eh, you know an average you know a b-level actor I'm kind of like not invested in this, but because it's Alan Rickman giving it to me, I'm like, yeah, you you just talk to me, buddy. You just keep <laughs> everything you say sounds authoritative and important. Yeah, I can't find authority. He's like, I've met. Um, yeah, I agree. <laughs> I mentioned it before, but uh, Kevin brings it up a couple times that uh, he said Alan Rickman was obviously like the nicest guy in the world, and he said he would say stuff like, uh, you know, Kevin, if I'm ever in town, I'll give you a call and we'll hang out. And Kevin's like, yeah, everybody says that, and then they don't do it. He's like, and then he would show up in town and he'd call and be like, hey, Kevin, you want to go out and have dinner? But he's like, he would call and leave a message because he's like, Kevin's like, I don't answer my phone. He's like, there'd be a message like, hello, Kevin, this is Alan Rickman. And he's like, no kidding. Like, <laughs> no kidding, it's Alan Rickman. Like, who else sounds like that? <laughs> he he did. He does seem like he would have been like the loveliest person to, and he is fantastic. He said, yeah, Kevin. And it's incredible how this, you know, same actor can play such kind of big parts as, as this and obviously... Snape and Harry Potter and these kind of big, powerful people, um, but also be who he is, Harry and Love Actually. Oh yeah, and still like, um, we, you know, I've got a reference Love Actually when we've got a film with Alan Rickman. He's very, very good in Love Actually, and because he's so damn likable, I watch Love Actually and I don't see him as a bad guy. I see him as a good guy who's 
made bad mistakes. I mean, and that was his superpower was when he was it's funny because the one time it almost he's not like that i i feel like a snape snape he goes the other way he makes you hate him <laughs> he's just like god make me hate you where when he was a villain i mean and obviously he's a black hat villain in like die hard robin hood type movies but he's so charming <laughs> that like you're like i see where this guy's coming from <laughs> yeah it's just like, yeah i guess i'm evil now yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's he's, he's once got had Alan Rickman wave at him. That's that's the the closest I've got to to, to an Alan Rickman. Listen, I mean, you take what you can get. Yeah, a friend of mine was um, played one of the ghosts in the first Harry Potter film. He's in it for like half a second weeks um, <laughs> because he he was going to be. I think for it was like a long time. Um, long time. And uh, he went. He was asked to sign some Harry Potter books, and he like signed a few of them. Uh, and then he looked up, and in the mirror, Alan Rickman was behind him, also signing some of the books, and just wait. I think that's what I heard. It's been a while since I heard that story, but it was something like that. Um, Listen, that's close enough. Alan Rickman could have could have cursed at me, and I'd have been like, "That was awesome." Yeah, no, great. Well, it's like Bill Nye is like he is everything I've heard about Bill Nye is that he's like the um, and but also like if he just said something horrible to me, I'd be like, "Yeah, no, you have a point. Um, uh, you're probably right." Yeah, you were like. If he came up to you and was like, "You are dressed incorrectly." You'd be like, "You're right, sir. I will. I will go home and rethink my choices." Yeah, it's just like if Bill Nye told me I was in the wrong job. I guess right. I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna work at a bank. Yeah, and <laughs> it's just- that's where I think in many of his films, but particularly this one, it's it's it, we've talked about this. We talked about the casting choices for this movie. Yeah. Um, the one that. I think is not even shaky, but maybe not the best would have been Linda Fiorentino. She's good, but I feel like I don't, I think he kind of miscast her. I don't think it's even on her. I think we could have had somebody else there, but like he's got such strong supporting players in this. I mean, your secondary characters are people like, you know, you got Alan Rickman and Chris Rock and Salma Hayek and Ben Affleck and Matt Damon and Jason Lee are basically all side characters on this quest. Yeah, it's it's mental, but it, it works so so well. Um, so yeah, I'm. Uh, I I think probably as a as a near concluding thought on this film is as I've kind of hinted throughout. I I like I, I appreciate how much this film makes me think. Um, I might not agree with every piece and every point it tries to make. Um, it, th- those films that, that you're thinking about the next day after you've watched them are the films that make it, you know. And I, I, I've, you know, I've been like that even with like some horror films. It's like doesn't bother me so much when I'm watching it, and then like a couple of days later, I'm sat there remembering these scenes, and it's like that film made an impact, and this this one does. This film, you know, I have had many a conversation about dogma, and yeah. I'd love to watch it with more Christians. Um, I, I keep wanting to get like my parents to watch this. Yeah, it's uh, it's almost like I can't decide how that would go. I'm also wondering if, like, based on the tenets of your faith, I wonder how much it bothers you. Like, I mean, it's obviously directed pointedly at Catholics. Yes, because that's what he was. The only it's funny the the Protestants. I think they get a mention earlier about something. They make some offhand joke at their expense. Um, earlier in the film at the church, they say that they're playing. There's a softball tournament where the 
the anti-abortionists are playing against the the pro-choice people, which I just find hilarious on so many levels. I'm just like, they hate each other, but they're like, yeah, we'll be in this softball tournament against each other. I mean, so I, I, um, I kind of, I think I said at the start, but I'll, I'll leave it as the only big things that I take issue with in this film, at least thinking about it now. Not, obviously, I've not gone minute by minute through it. Um, I, I've mostly been focused on these minutes, but it is... The way it portrays Christians, I don't take any issue with. The I am I have qualms about the portrayal of, of God, but the, the film as a whole, I like that it made me think. I like that it, it gave us this, this conversation. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I, I will almost certainly watch this again, and I, I hope to watch it with some some fellow churchgoers and see whether they yeah I, that that would be an interesting group to watch it with. You, you just the problem is you got to get them through the first fifteen minutes. Like yeah, soon, it, is, I mean, if 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 the abortion thing is a is a no go, that's where you're going to lose them, because you're not going to have time to get to all the, you know, more philosophical things that happen down the road. That you're gonna they're going to be mad already getting in. Similarly, I, I think that a lot of secular films are much better in conversations and with than a lot of Christian movies are, because Christian movies are often a conversation. And yeah. Um, whereas I would genuinely say better than almost any. Christian movie, with the odd exception of maybe like three or four that I've seen. Uh, the Devil's Advocate, the Keanu Reeves Al Pacino film, I think is fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> and I've had so many good conversations about it. I would never, you know, sit down in a church and be like, come on guys, today instead of a sermon we're going to watch The Devil's Advocate. But, <laughs> oh, like... That, but that'd be a good day though. That'd be a... It would be a day. It would be memorable. Yeah, it'd be real memorable when it was your last day. As soon as all the nudity showed up, you're like, "Whoa, whoa, whoa! No, not that part. Oh, hold on. We'll just, well, fast forward, fast forward." <laughs> I I forgot about elements of that when I um, convinced my family that I still watch it with my sister. <laughs> um, it, it it was okay. There were just a few discussions of, "Oh, okay, yeah." But the overall film, I think, went down really. Yeah, well. this is see, this is the um, problem. Someone of my age runs into when I try to show my kids something. Of like, I remember watching stuff now. That was stuff I'm watching. You're talking 80s and 70s. So even oh, yeah. e- even the if it's PG yeah, I, yeah, yeah even the uh, yeah even the the guide is not going to help you because it may say PG. No, no, there should be a specific 80s PG that's on there. Of like Jaws is PG, <laughs> like Raiders of the Lost Ark is PG. Like those would never be PG movies if they were made after that time. Yeah, well, it's 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 the fact that you've got. When was when was the PG thirteen? That's like that's like eighty four ish. That's like Gremlins and Temple of Doom are like uh, cited so as the we, two movies that really. I don't think we had our twelve until um, the nineties. Yeah, and so it's kind of similar. things like like Gremlins, um, uh, but are sent, they essentially forced to be one side or the other of either you have to be fifteen to watch this or it's a PG. Yeah, and so. A lot of them have been reclassified, but not not all of them. It's not a good conversation to bring up right at the yeah, well. show because I have an obsession with the UK system. <laughs> oh, listen, they're uh, all so garbage. So, like, there's like, and about it's it. like how I've they drink my coffee out of a mug. It's like anything. They the come, British Board of Film They come down hard. I mean, I don't know about your film board, but ours, well, violence is just allowed, but they come down hard on sexuality. Like, they have weird hard Other rules for profanity. Profanity, you say the F word two, three times, boom, you're an R, no matter what. You're 17. Yeah, we're, so the BBFC uh, do look more at context um, than the MPAA. Um, so strong language. For the most part, it is like, yeah, they've said it so many times, so it's 15 rather than a 12. 
but occasionally it is okay yeah they've said it 10 times but the context is someone joking in conversation rather than someone aggressively using it either in a sexual context or in an argument it's not there to shock it's a matter of fact therefore it will pass Ugh, this class that's way too much nuance but, um, for over here but uh <laughs> n- nudity passes uh, uh different so i mean we talked about life of brian there is full frontal nudity in life of brian as you may recall oh, yes i do um, both both sexes too get it <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's rated 12 because there's no sexual context to the nudity. Um, if yeah. it's sexualized then it it was a 15 for years, but we recently re- the swearing isn't aggressive and the nudity. I would say the nudity is more shocking than anything else. You're just not expecting it, yeah. and then it's just there. <laughs> yeah, and it's but like you know the BBFC in the 1920s um, passed a, um, a naturist documentary at the U rating, which is G, um, because they were like, well, there's nothing offensive. Yeah. <laughs> it's just reflect, and 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 they've kind of kept that sort of mindset um, throughout for them. But yeah, it's interesting. Right. At least I find it interesting. I listen. They do their own podcasts where they'll take films and like talk about how they rated them bit by bit through all the key points. And boring people like me love that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> all right, I think you've said all you want to say. Do you have anything final you want to say about Dogma before we wrap up for this Friday? No. Um, shall I go just in case I forget straight after the finish? Shall I go with the the quote. Uh, we'll do it afterwards because that way, otherwise, that'll hurt Chris's brain. <laughs> yeah, so um, nothing really. I think, yeah, I really appreciate coming on, and I've really just enjoyed talking about it. And yeah, I, I hope to to have discussions with this with other people and further kind of realize my dreams. All right, so we've come down to the last. Uh, this is Friday, so for Friday, uh, you know, come find us where we normally are. I'm not plugging again. Um, on Friday, I always read a Bible verse, and as we're at the end of the movie, I'm only reading from Revelation at this point. I really should have read this one last week, but whatever. I'm going to read it now. Revelation 21, 8. But the cowardly, the unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, and all liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulfur. This is the second death. really should have done that last week when they killed off Bartleby. I'm so disappointed in myself.